This morning we'll continue our series of lessons on the essential doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the importance of this kind of study is we as God's people, as Christians, we need to know what we believe and why. And the only source of doctrine, the only source of truth that is eternal is the Word of God, the Bible. It has proven itself to be trustworthy. It's proven itself to be the Word of God. And so for doctrine, for teaching, for what we believe, we have to go to the Bible to know what God intends for us to know about Him and to know about His plan of redemption for our life. The world has every right to ask us and to question us about our belief. Now, they misunderstand it, and sadly, so many Christians don't know how to respond to the mocking that the world mocks our faith, and they think that we are uh, foolish. They think that we're naive for believing the Bible, and we need to be able to give an answer. The Bible tells us that we are to be able to give an answer or a defense of what we believe and why. And the only way that we can do that is to know what the Bible says. This is why it's so important for these kinds of studies. Let's open this morning to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll read the first eight verses here, because the doctrine that we want to consider this morning is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is as fundamental and as basic as it gets for the Christian faith, and yet Many denominations and many churches and many of those who call themselves Christians are actually denying the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to understand, is the Bible expecting us, does God expect us to believe that Jesus died and that he rose again and that his death was with a purpose and what that purpose was? Well, the Bible makes it clear. All all those questions are answered clearly in the word of God, and we need to know those answers. And so let's read Matthew 28 and verses 1 through 8. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. Saints, we worship a risen Lord, a risen Christ. I don't doubt the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have in the New Testament, all the promises, a home in heaven, that all of my needs are going to be provided in this life as I wait for the coming of the Lord and and the hope of the coming of the Lord. I believe all of those promises because I believe that Jesus rose From the dead. But it's important for us to understand that that faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a blind faith. It's not that we are gullible. That's what the world tells us. We're just gullible. We'll believe anything. No. 
Our faith is based in the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus in his lifetime fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior of the world. That prophecy began way back in Genesis at the fall of Adam, where the promise was made that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of Satan and all of his plans and purposes that plunged the human race into this condition of sin. So beginning from there all the way through the Old Testament, there was prophecy after prophecy that pointed to this Savior. Jesus fulfilled over 300. Now, those of you who know me, you know that math is not my strong suit. You know that. So look it up for yourself. The possibility, and, and I've looked at the formulas, I've seen the mathematical, and, and this is also by unsaved mathematicians that come up with these numbers as well as those that, are, that believe the Bible account. The numbers are astronomical. It is the, the probability that one man could fulfill all of these prophecies, it is mathematically impossible to, for them to, to have fulfilled it by happenstance. Jesus is who he says he is. The Bible pointed to that. I want us to consider just eight of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, many of which he could not have controlled in his lifetime, where he was born, how specifically he was going to die. Things that as a man who wanted, who had his own agenda, but was just man and wanted to manipulate people, fool them, uh, he could not have dictated these things that he fulfilled by his birth, his life, his ministry, and his death. Just eight of them. The first one is the time of his birth. If you take time to read Daniel chapter 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel, it, it gave a timeline. 483 years after the decree was given to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after they had been destroyed, the Messiah would come on the scene. To the date, to the year, Jesus was born. At that time, he could not have manipulated that. And, and by the way, the, the probability of one individual fulfilling just these eight by coincidence, by happenstance, again, astronomical. And again, you have to look up the, the formula, but it's, it's just impossible unless he was exactly who he said he was. The second one, where he was to be born. He was born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5 and verse 2, it was predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The third prophecy Jesus fulfilled, one of the over 300, that he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah seven fourteen. Number four, he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah eleven twelve. Jesus was betrayed exactly with that amount. Number five, he would be mocked, Psalm 22, 7 and 8. He would be crucified. Jesus himself made many statements about his death and how he would die. In John 3 and 14, he made reference to the fact he would be crucified. Jesus predicted his own death, but he also predicted his own resurrection. He would be pierced, number seven, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, And number eight, he would die with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich. That's just eight of over 300. 
Jesus is who he says he is. He is the promised Messiah. So our faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, it's not a blind faith at all. It simply is based on the evidence that God has provided for us to believe his Son. There are so many other evidences. After his death, after and then his resurrection, everyone saw the, the torture of the cross. He died. Many t- denominations today say, well, he didn't fully die. He just passed out, and then in the grave, in the cool grave, he, he revived. Some churches are actually teaching that as the resurrection. No. He died my death to sin. His death is my death, but his resurrection is my resurrection. After he rose from the dead, after everyone saw the crucifixion, 500 at one time saw him. The very fact that 500 witnesses, not one of them turned. Now, if it was a lie, if all of this was a lie, you could get someone out of 500 people to either tell the truth by torture or by bribery, but they didn't. They saw the living Christ. Saul of Tarsus, why did he change all of a sudden from one who killed Christians, who said that Jesus was a blasphemer? That was his career. That's how he made his money. That's how he had authority and power. And he was having great success in what he was doing. But one day he stopped calling Jesus a blasphemer and called him the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Why did he do that? It wasn't for fame and fortune. He already had that. It's because he saw the risen Christ. And then all of the evidence. Why, why is the Christian church still thriving today when throughout history there have been those that have tried to destroy the church of Jesus Christ, the disciples, the followers of Christ, because we are the body of Christ. The fact that we're still here is proof that God watches over his people. The changed lives of Christians, those who trust the Bible, who trust in in the Lord Jesus Christ, their lives are changed. They go from thieves to those who generously supply for others. Paul talks about the grace of God that does that. We serve a risen Christ. Now, if you believe that, this is a fundamental truth, a fundamental doctrine. If we believe that, how should that impact our life? Because these essential doctrines, doctrine sometimes it just comes across as such a cold word. That's theology, talking about doctrine. It just means teaching. Why do we need to know the teachings of the Bible? Because they need to change our life. They need to change how we think. They need to change how we act, how we talk. And that's true of this fundamental doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What can we know and what can we experience because we know that Jesus rose from the dead? So I want to look at a few of those things. Number one, let's go to Romans 1 and verses 1 through 4. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know this is proof, this is evidence that he is the Son of God. It is proof of his deity. Only God can conquer death. Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Again, there's that foundation, the evidence, the fulfillment of all those prophecies. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So that is evidence of his humanity. Only the God-man could pay the debt of the sins of man. 
The fact that he was born of the seed of David is evidence of his humanity. He was man. Verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. His birth and his death proved his humanity, but his resurrection proved his deity. Jesus made some claims about himself. And in Matthew 12, we'd, for time's sake, we won't read it, but if, you wanna, if you're taking down notes, Matthew 12 and verses 38 to 41. Those that Jesus ministered to in his earthly ministry, the Jews, they saw miracle after miracle after miracle that only God could do. It was beyond man's ability to do. They saw that already, and yet they had the audacity to say, show us some evidence that you are the Son of God. Prove to us that you are God. And he said, you're, you're a foolish and, and vile generation. You, you won't believe the evidence I've already given you. He says, I'll give you one more, and that is, I will die, and I will live again. And yet many of you will not believe even that miracle. But it proved, the resurrection proved that he was who he said he was. The second thing that we can know, because we believe the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, we believe he's the son of God. There are some religions, the Mormons, they actually don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. They talk about Jesus, but they actually believe he is a, a powerful angel. He's not deity. Well, so we know that that's wrong, right? How do we know that? Well, because Brother Doug said so. No, because the Bible says so. He is the Son of God. The resurrection proves he's the Son of God. It also proves that his death was the sufficient sacrifice to pay the debt of all of my sins. How do I know my sins are forgiven? How do I know that I'm right with my Creator? Can you really know that and we know all the jokes and all the stories about, well, you, you stand before the pearly gates of heaven and you ask St. Peter if you can get in. And I don't have to ask Peter anything. I know I have eternal life. I know my sins are forgiven because Jesus rose from the dead. Romans 4, verses 21 to 25. His resurrection is the proof that his sacrifice, his giving of himself was sufficient to pay the debt of not only all of my sins, but the sins of the human race. And whoever accepts that gift receives the forgiveness of sins. Romans 4.21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness, talking about Abraham. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed, that is, put to our account. To us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, that's why he died. His death was to pay the debt of my sin and was raised because of our justification. I am justified before the righteous holy God this morning. And I know that I am because Jesus paid the debt of my sin on the cross and the evidence that God accepted it as payment in full was he raised him from the dead. That's why I know I'm going to heaven. I know my sins are forgiven. Not because I just want it to be, not because I'm gullible, but because the creator of heaven and earth produced the receipt of the payment by raising Jesus from the dead. Romans eight thirty one to 34, if you want to jot that down. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Who's going to condemn us? Who's going to say you're not saved? You're, you're, you're not right with God. You've got to do this. You've got to join this church. You've got to do this ceremony or this ritual, or you're, you're not right with God. Who's going to tell me that? Because Jesus died for me, and he rose again that I might have life. So who's going to argue with me? Oh, they can argue either one, but I'm going to agree with God. That's what faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. Paul wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17, and he said, if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. <laughs> if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then it means that God didn't accept his sacrifice. Now, the price was paid on the cross. Make no mistake about it. The price was paid in full when Jesus died, and he said, it is finished. Redemption. It's done. But we know that that sacrifice was accepted because he rose from the dead. And so for any church or any Christian that says, well, you know, do we really believe that Jesus died and that he rose again? And that's, that's pretty naive for us to think that. Well, if you don't believe it, you're still lost in sin. There is no salvation. There is no hope. But I thank God we know we serve a risen Christ. The third thing that we can know because Jesus rose from the dead is that we can live a life of victory over sin. The Christian after being saved and has eternal life and he'll never perish, never be condemned. Even the most carnal Christian has eternal life because of faith in Jesus Christ. So Christians can sin and they do. But saints, we don't have to. First of all, we need to understand how destructive sin is in the life of anyone, but even in the life of believers. When we sin, when we fall short of obeying God's instruction in his word for our life, we don't lose our salvation but we make our life more difficult. There are scars for not obeying God's instruction, his loving, wise instruction for our lives concerning our marriages, our careers, how we interact with others, how we interact with the world. We have specific instructions on what's appropriate, what's acceptable for a child of God. And when we ignore those, then we suffer unnecessary pain and loss. In the will of God, yes, there's suffering. But in the will of God, the suffering that we, we experience is because God is working something eternal in us for his glory and for our eternal good. But outside of the will of God, I, I don't know about you. I don't like suffering, period. I don't like suffering in the will of God. I'm glad he gives me strength. I'm glad he gives me wisdom. I'm glad he, he upholds me in that suffering in his will, but I, I don't really care for it except for I know he is being faithful, so I can rejoice and give thanks even in the midst of my suffering. But any suffering I don't have to go through, I'm all for that. And sin always leads to some kind of death or some kind of suffering that is not necessary for a child of God. We don't have time to read Romans 6, but if again, if you're taking notes, read Romans 6, 1 through 13. Starts out Paul saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? A lot of Churches teach that. We're under grace. We're saved by grace, not by works. So it doesn't matter how we live. That's a lie from Satan. It matters how you live. You can enjoy God's best beginning right now, and it leads to his best in eternity as well. But some people say, well, I, I just can't live a godly life. I can't live that. I can't be the kind of Christian that Brother Doug talks about all the time, that the Bible talks about. Yes, you can, because Jesus rose from the dead. If you believe that, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you need to also believe 
you can live a life of victory right now. You can be the kind of Christian God wants you to be because Jesus is alive. That life is in you. That life, the life of Christ cannot sin. Jesus did the will of the Father always in his life, in his ministry, in his death, and in his resurrection. He's now at the right hand of God making intercession for me. That's the will of the Father. Jesus always does the will of God, and that life is in you. And so we all need to stop making excuses for ourselves, stop making excuses for our friends and loved ones, and to say what God says, because Jesus rose from the dead, I can live a life of victory over sin. And I want to. I don't. I've seen the scars of sin in the lives of God's people, who some for out-and-out rebellion, some for indifference, just not knowing what the will of God is and not seeking to know the will of God. I've seen how sin complicates lives and destroys lives. But I'm glad I have a power within me that can help me avoid all of those scars and that pain and that suffering. Let's do read Philippians 3.10. A life of godliness is the best kind of life that you can live. It's the healthiest life. Doesn't mean that you'll never be sick, but it's the best possible life to live in this life. A life that is lived in accordance to the instructions of God's word. You can have joy and peace even in the midst of your tears, even in the midst of sorrow and loss and tragedy. You can't buy that anywhere else. You can only find it in the will of God. And I have that opportunity because Jesus rose from the dead. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him. He wanted to know Jesus more intimately. He already knew Jesus as his Savior, but he wanted to know the fullness of what Christ died to give him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What's that mean? Paul wasn't just referring to one day being raised from the dead. We'll look at that in a minute. But he was talking about knowing right now in this life the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, power to live a godly life, the power to be the kind of Christian God wants us to be and that causes us to enjoy the best of this life and the best of eternity. That's the power of his resurrection that Paul wanted to know and the fellowship of his sufferings. In context, this is why we know the reference to the power of his resurrection is not someday being raised from the dead. That's a part of it. But you see, fellowship of his sufferings, that was in this life, wasn't it? That Paul wanted to know that. He wasn't a glutton for suffering. But what he was saying is because of my identification with a rejected Christ in this Christ-rejecting world, because I want to be identified with him, I know that's going to be mean suffering in this life. But I want to participate in that suffering because it means I'm walking with him. I'm identified with him, being conformed to his death. How could Paul be conformed to the death of Jesus Christ? Paul wasn't crucified like Jesus. He was beheaded, but he wasn't crucified with Jesus. So what's, what's this desire to be conformed to his death? Why did Jesus die? First and foremost, it was because it was the Father's will. Now, Jesus died because he loved me. Absolutely. Jesus died to pay the debt of my sin. Absolutely. But the reason he did that is because it was the will of his father. So to be conformed, and that, that will led to the death of Jesus Christ. And so I can be right now, while I'm still breathing, I can be conformed to the death of Jesus Christ by doing the will of the father in every area of my life. This was Paul's desire. And this should be our desires as well, because Jesus rose from the dead. 
Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul could live because he died with Christ and he rose with Christ, and we can do the same. Our resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm just going to have to give you these references because I'm already behind here. I know one day that if I die before Jesus comes, I know that that grave is not the end for me because I know Jesus rose from the dead. We have this promise. When you have time, read 1 Corinthians 15. Because he rose, I have this certain expectation that I will rise from the dead as well. The Bible teaches me that when a believer dies, their spirit and their soul go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body, to die, for the believer, is to be present with the Lord. But this body, which is corruptible, will put it off. But the promise is one day there's going to be a reunification. Spirit and soul will come back with Jesus, and this body will be raised incorruptible. A glorified body that's fit for heaven. And Once again, the world says, oh, that's so fanciful. That's pie in the sky. Because I believe Jesus rose from the dead, I do not question. One day I will raise from the dead as well, should I die before Jesus comes. 1 Corinthians 15, let's read 51 to 58. These are promises that we need to lay hold of. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This truth that Jesus paid our sins, that he rose again, how should this impact you? If it's just a cold doctrine that you learn and you say, well, that's what our church believes. That's what my parents believe. That's what Brother Doug believes. Then this truth means nothing to you. It will do nothing for you. But if you believe it, verse 58, because all of these things are true, because Jesus died for your sins, because he rose from the dead, and you have the promise of being raised from the dead, because you know those things are true. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast in your faith, immovable. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter who mocks you or who opposes you. You be steadfast. You be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know something, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Saints, we need to be stirred as never before to dedicate our lives to the work of the Lord. Giving others the opportunity to hear this gospel, knowing that many will reject it, knowing that many will mock us. But if this is true, if Jesus is who he says he is, we need to surrender every aspect of our life to him, to doing his will and to be ready when Jesus comes. Paul was an educated man. 
He was skeptical of a lot of things, but when he saw Jesus, he knew these things to be true. I'll just mention the last two here. Our inheritance. I know I have an inheritance in, in eternity because Jesus rose from the dead. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, you can note that down. We've been called to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My hope is certain. It's eternal. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for me. I have a home in heaven. It's not pie in the sky. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says, if I'm going to all the trouble to prepare that place for you, I'm coming back for you. What a wonderful hope is ours. The last one, this one is maybe not so comforting to some, and and it shouldn't be. But that is divine judgment is also certain. This is the age of grace. And as Christians, it's not our job to try to change this vile world because you're not going to do it. Not through legislation, not through politics, not through social reforms. You're not going to make this a heaven on earth. Things are only going to get worse. You need to understand that. Our job is not to change the world. It's to be a light in this darkness. It's to be the salt. It's to be the example of what faith in God can do. And so our responsibility is not to execute judgment on this godless world. Right now, it's to offer them the gift of God's grace, remembering that we didn't deserve his salvation any more than they do. But we are to offer the grace of God that gave us Jesus Christ to die for our sins, rose again to prove his sacrifice was accepted, my justification. We offer that gift to a lost and dying world. But we also know that God is a righteous God, and all of those who reject him will suffer that eternal judgment. This is why this truth should make us more, more dedicated than ever to share Christ with as many as we possibly can. And this is why Jesus has not come yet, because he is loving and patient, not wanting that anyone perish. May we be faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ to give others the opportunity to know Jesus and his grace, that they might not ever know the judgment and condemnation of a righteous God. Acts 17, 30, and 31. You can note that down for the evidence of divine judgment that is sure because Jesus rose from the dead, because he did the will of God. Well, let's stand. We'll be dismissed this morning. For most of us here, nothing that I said is new. I've given this lesson a number of times in the 24-some years that I've been here. Nothing's new here. But is it fresh? Is this truth real to you, to me personally? How does it impact my life? Do I leave here after being reminded of this glorious truth? Do I leave here the same way that I came? Same attitudes? Or does this truth really impact us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this opportunity and this time that we've had around your word, the living word. It's sharp. It's powerful. It's full of energy, and it gives us energy when we take it in, energy to do the will of God. So, Lord, I pray. You know each heart here this morning. You know every need. There are so many needs. There's physical needs. There's emotional needs. There's financial needs. There's relationship needs. We are a needy people. We are just vessels of clay. We are so fragile in every aspect of our life, and may we recognize that daily because only then will we look to that treasure that's within us 
in full dependence, knowing that we don't have the answers. We don't have the wisdom to, to live our own life. So, Lord, we come to you with boldness and confidence, not in us, but in the risen Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would minister to every need here this morning, whatever it might be. You know each heart. But may the presence of the Holy Spirit be real to move us and to make us everything that you want us to be as we anticipate and look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name, that risen Christ, that I pray. Amen.